able to come along and uh, join you at Freeway Baptist this morning. Uh, my name is Bill, as mentioned. I'm part of a team at Crossway Baptist Church, been there for about 10 years. Uh, but I've been a pastor for about 25 years now and uh, known Mason and Sandy even longer than that. So that's one of the scary parts of life. Uh, I don't know about you, but I always like to know a little bit about someone when they come and share, you know, who are you and what, what, what's your circle of life? Uh, this is just a quick snapshot of my family. Uh, my wonderful wife, Amy, who we've been married for 28 years now. Um, and our three children, Joshua, Elizabeth and Nathan. Uh, we have the young adult high teen age years. Uh, so a lot of fun, a lot of uh, energy and a very expensive grocery bill at the end of the week normally. But that's just a short snapshot of uh, who I am. I once knew a person who was walking closely with God. Today they have nothing to do with him at all, with God, with Christianity. As when I was, wasn't, hadn't long been a Christian and we'd gone along to this church and there was a young couple there, a lovely young couple. They were a key part of our church. They were on the welcome team, they were part of the worship team. They just, they led a life group. They were integrated and, and part of all that happened. And over time we got to know them well and they were a lovely couple as we got to know them. And over time we moved from that area and went to a, another area. And we still kept in touch. And over the years, uh, we heard more and more of what was happening and where things were at. And over the years, they, they tried to have children and weren't able to. And that went on for many years. And then they went through IVF and was unsuccessful. And as that continued to go through their story, the wife especially became very challenged by that. She was sad. She was disappointed. And over time, that sadness and disappointment became anger with God became resentment, became bitterness, to a point where she couldn't stand being around other people who believed that God would heal when she wasn't able to have children, that God will enable when she wasn't able to. And so she stopped going to church altogether. And her husband sort of sat in between for a while. He tried to support his wife but wanted to be at church, and after a while he too dropped off. And now my friend doesn't go to church at all. It's a sad story. But I wonder if you can relate in some way are there times in your life when you've been disappointed with God? Are there times when you felt like God's called you to do something or something that you were really expecting was from God and it hasn't come to par? Or maybe you're just struggling with God where you're at. Maybe you're ready to give up on what you're doing. If not you, maybe a friend, a child, a work colleague. That aside, life can be tough. And there are times when we all face challenges. We have Relational challenges where things may not go as we wish with a spouse or with a work colleague, with a friend. Or emotional challenges, physical challenges. I have a good friend of mine who lives every day with excruciating pain. He's only in his mid-40s and yet he takes a plethora of drugs every day just to keep the pain at a level that's bearable. He believes in God and yet he deals with this as a daily basis. He has to persevere and push through. As we read that, heard that reading this, uh, from a minute ago, we hear of somewhat Paul's asking of the Philippian church. I don't know about you, when we listen to Philippians, and as the theme is, it's the joy of Philippians. And there's a real reality of joy within Philippians, that as we, you only have to open Philippians to any, uh, any page or chapter. Chapter 2. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Chapter 3, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same thing again. Chapter 4, 
for my joy and crown stand firm in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, I'll say it again, rejoice. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Paul continuously uses the words joy and rejoice through the entire chapter. It's easy for us to think, well, you know, that's all very well for the Apostle Paul to, to hold that opinion or hold that view. And yet many of us know the reality of what Paul's life was at that time. He speaks of being in chains for the gospel, where he's probably either in a Roman prison or locked to either in um, home detention or in an actual prison where he's chained to a, a Roman guard. His life wasn't easy. And yet he was able to say, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Again, rejoice. We look at even Paul's history as he gives a bit of a, a prelude in, uh, in Corinthians where we read um, 2 Corinthians 11 verses 23 to 28. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Just add this up. Five times he's been lashed within an inch of his life. Three times I've been beaten with a rod. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked and I spent the night and the day in open seas. I've had to be constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, in danger from false believers. I've laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. We're friends like God, who needs enemies? Like you look at what Paul has gone through. He's the apostle Paul serving God, and yet he's had to go through some of the most horrific things. Any one of those, for any one of us, would probably put us in a fairly ordinary place, mentally, physically, emotionally. And yet he's been beaten five, he's been whipped five times, beaten three times, imprisoned, shipwrecked. And yet he comes out the other side, and this is later in life when he's writing Philippians, he says, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. There's a real attitude of finding joy, even though he's had to persist. And so we want to look today at the idea of how can you find joy through perseverance? How can you push on when things are tough, and not just endure, but actually, like Paul says, rejoice and find joy? How do we do that? Well, as we read those scriptures that were shared before, we read, first of all, Paul saying, stay focused. Stay focused. Verse 13, we read, uh, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Grab hold of those words, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind, I strain towards what is ahead. Paul focuses in all his energy, all the things he's had happen to him, all the things that are going on in his world. He says, there's really only one thing that I need to do that will make an eternal impact. This one thing I do. It's that single focusedness of mind. How do you go with focusing on one thing? If you're like me, I'm, I'm actually renowned to be a little bit, maybe ADHD might be the term, I've probably never been diagnosed for that, but I like to have lots of things happening at once and I struggle to focus and concentrate on any one thing at any one time. I uh, googled what does it mean to be focused before I was, while I was researching and um, Google had one article there that said uh, 23 ways of staying focused. Contrast that to Paul, this one thing. It's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes we just need to focus in on what is it that God's calling us to do. What's the one thing that God's calling you to do? 
What's the one thing that he's called you to press on as your goal? I was chatting just before the service, and one of the, all of us as part of the body of Christ are called to serve. What's one thing you could be doing for Freeway Baptist Church? What's one way you could serve in this place, whether it's kids' space, whether it's a worship team, whether it's welcoming, whether it's helping out in the kitchen? There's so many opportunities we have in the actual body of Christ, but it's so much more than that too. That's something we do as a collective. What's the one thing God's calling you to do in sharing who you are and sharing him with others? We have that concentration. What is that one thing? Then Paul continues, he says, in verse 12 and 14, he says, um, I press on towards that which God has taken hold of me. And again in verse 14, I press towards the goal. He emphasises that need to not just find the one thing, but to push forward, to continue to focus on that one thing, to make it something that God's calling you to do and push forward to see what it is. So one of the great challenges you find is how do you actually press on? What is it that enables you to have perseverance? I was listening this week to one of our AFL coaches and the reporter asked him, he said, what is the difference between a, a good, great footballer and an elite athlete player? Because some of the players you watch are, are great footballers, but then there's that one or two that have just got that flair factor. They get the ball, they do things that you just can't believe can be done with a football. And one of the reporters was asking, what is that? It's, it's those people at the top of their game. Uh, and it, Charlie Cameron, for example, for the Brisbane Lions, is one of those players, he gets the ball, you know he's going to do something with it. And the coach said, the difference I see is they're willing to persist. They'll push through boredom to achieve greatness. That doesn't sound very inspiring. But what he was saying was, they will repeat the process over and over again. It's not about the, about the event. Charlie Cameron snaps the goal from the boundary in some obscure angle that no one else could do. And we all look at it and think, wow, how did he do that? But it's not the first time he's done it. So training all week, he does that a hundred times, a thousand times. He practices from every spot as an example. It's that willingness to push through, and as the coach said, to push through the boredom of the monotony of the regular, of the, what you have to do, to actually achieve what God calls you to do. Or he wasn't talking about God, obviously. He was talking about football skills. But we apply it to our life. Sometimes we just need to keep pushing through. Sometimes God calls us to do something, and it can seem like, God, is this it? God, is there more to this? But sometimes it's God saying, I'm just preparing you for that one moment. For that one moment with 10 seconds to go in the grand final when he snaps a goal from 50 metres out on the boundary line. That didn't happen in the moment. That happened a million times over his career of 30 years in training. And sometimes we're called to do that too. God calls us to focus in, to share our, our lives, to share the gospel with a person. But that doesn't happen in the moment. It happens in your quiet time. It happens in you spending time with God, being guided by the Holy Spirit having input as you grow and mature in what might just seem like another day. God's preparing you for the next step. Paul goes on to say in verse 14, I press on towards the goal for which Christ has called me, for the price in which, for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. The prize that Paul is pursuing is the fact that he will be in heaven with Jesus. He knows that that's his end reality. He says earlier in Philippians, to live is Christ, to die is to gain. To, to live is Christ, to die is to gain. It, it didn't matter to him which way it went. If he lived and was around, great, he'd share the gospel. If he was to die, he'd be a witness for Christ. Either way, he would do what God wanted him to do. And that's the same reality, saying, my focus is actually on heaven. 
My reality is I'm being called there eventually. We all go there eventually if we believe in Jesus, if we've trusted Jesus. That's where we go. But it's how we use that today. How does that apply to our day-to-day lives? So how can we find joy through perseverance? The first step is for us to stay focused. But Paul goes on and he says another step that we can take to find joy through perseverance is to follow godly examples. We read in verse 15, All of us then who are mature should take such a view. And if at some point you differ, that too God will make clear to you. Have a think about those words. If at some point you differ in what I'm saying, at some point God will make it clear to you. How does that happen? Come back to my last point. When we spend time with God, God will show us the way. He will speak to us. Through his Holy Spirit, he'll guide us in the steps he wants us to take. But we have a part to play. Our part is to actually take the time to spend with God. And there'll be things that we differ on in opinions. I've found in churches, if you've got three people in a room, you have four different opinions. That's okay. But what you can do with that is be guided by the Holy Spirit. God, what do you want to do in this situation? We've all got our own views on how this has to be done. What's your view? And be guided by the Holy Spirit. Follow God as our first example. But then Paul goes on to say, Look at me and follow me as a, a person. Now, imitate me as I imitate Christ, he said in Corinthians. In the same way here, he says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you've seen us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Three times. He says, hey, look, we're doing the best. We don't get it always right. We're doing the best we can. But look towards us how we live, that you may see something of Christ in us, that you may live the way Jesus is calling you to live we all need a good mentor do you have someone you look up to do you have someone that you go to in a time of challenge maybe a, an older person maybe an, uh, it can be someone who's an author of a book or something that you aspire to we all need things that influence us in a positive way both Mason and I were privileged to sit under a, a, an elderly pastor who um, is probably the reason both of us are in, in ministry today and I struggle not to cry when I talk about him. Uh, Graham Smith was his name. And Graham has had an incredible impact for the gospel across many years and many generations. He was my mentor and, and Mesa's mentor. And he guided us through to that point of actually following the calling that God had on our lives for both of us. We both had different directions that we were going and God called us into ministry. But it's through people like Graham who were able to give us godly insight, wisdom, and for my situation, my story aligned with Graham's story. I grew up on a farming property in northwest Victoria, and God had called me to leave the farm. As an only son, God called me to go into ministry. It was a really hard challenge. But unbeknown to me, that was exactly Graham's story. And Graham was able to mentor me through how he'd done almost the identical process of having to leave a family farm and, and come into ministry. And what I was able to see in that fledgling moment where God was calling me into ministry was to see what God had done through Graham Smith that he called him off a farm to have an incredible kingdom impact. He could have done what he was called to do in his local little area of Bort where he grew up, but God called him to a ministry that enabled him to have such an impact on a, on a global scale and influence people like myself and Mace to be where we are. Who's your mentor? Who's giving you some guidance and direction? The flip side is also who are you mentoring? 
See, for Paul, we see that over the time when he was uh, developing his whole uh, his conversion from Saul to Paul, where Priscilla, Aquila, Apollos, Barnabas, they're all mentoring him and giving him direction and helping him find his feet and direction and partnered with him and ministered with him. But then we see Paul in this book of Philippians, that's Paul and Timothy, he's writing at the start. Timothy was the person he was mentoring and, and building up to then become a, a leader. I was chatting with Phil before and we're talking about the, the challenge of bringing leaders and growing leaders, not finding leaders, it's how do we grow leaders? And it starts with every one of us. Every one of us can influence someone. Every one of us has something to offer that we can help another person grow. So the question is, who is it that you're mentoring? Who's God put on your heart to grow the next step towards him? There's a runner who's a part of the US uh, running team, Olympic team, Charlene Flanagan. Charlene's an Olympian. She's uh, won the New York Marathon. She's an incredible runner when you look at her credentials. And yet her greatest credential is who she's influenced. So Charlene trains with 11 other young ladies. Charlene's now 42 and still running at an elite level. She has 11 young ladies she runs with. Every one of those young ladies is now an Olympian. They call it the Charlene effect. How's that come about? Because Charlene was willing to step alongside these young girls coming up and help to develop the skills that they had, use her expertise, and she wasn't afraid of them knocking her off her perch. She cheered them on as they passed her in the, in the levels that she ran. It's a wonderful example of how one person can influence almost another generation for the American uh, running team where they have literally 11 Olympians now, all who have trained and been uh, mentored by Charlene. Who are you training with? Who is it that you can run alongside and give a bit of a, a helping hand, a word of advice, a word of encouragement on a down day? We all have someone in our life that we can do that. That's a challenge for all of us to do. Paul then finishes this little section with a word of warning where he says, For as I've often told you before and now tell you again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destruction, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Last week, you might recall, Mason was sharing in the first part of his chapter about the Judaizers, you know, the dogs, the mutilators of the flesh, they were people who were coming into the church and while they were following Christianity, they were holding on to the old Jewish traditions. And so they were saying, yes, you can have Jesus plus. You still need to be, follow the Jewish laws. You still need to follow the Jewish uh, regulations on food. And so they were bringing influences into the church that were not what the Bible is about, not what Christianity is about. They were holding on to the old while still allowing the new. And Paul was saying, no, cut that off. It's Jesus only, not Jesus plus. That's all you need. You don't need the Jewish laws and the Jewish uh, past. And he himself was able to say, hey, if someone wants credentials, I've got the credentials. I'm a Pharisee. I was a tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I followed the law religiously. And yet he was able to say, don't let these guys influence you. And it's interesting the influence was from within the church. It wasn't people outside the church. It was from within. That's a word of warning for us too. What are we doing within the church? What's God calling us to do? How are we actually 
embracing and enabling unity and holding to what God calls the church to be without adding extra burdens or responsibilities that aren't needed. Their mind is set on earthly things. Where's our mindset? Do we focus on heaven? Do we see what God's got for us? Because that's actually the next step we would see in joy through perseverance. So Paul says, remember the reward. In verses 20, 21, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait our saviour from there. And then he goes on to say, who by the power that enables him will bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. It's a wonderful thought, isn't it? How often do you think about heaven? Do you ever give it a thought? In our day-to-day, in our challenge of you know, finding a parking lot and paying the bills and fueling the car and getting food on the table, do you ever stop and think, I wonder what heaven's really like? There's some wonderful revelations within the gospel that tell us some of the, the realities of heaven. It's something that will be so glorious to be a part of. That's where we're called. If we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, if we've confessed with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And if we've made that confession of Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, then we have a destination in heaven. But how often do we think about that in our day-to-day today? We get frustrated because uh, someone cut us off in traffic. But how often do we actually stop and think, hey, our time here is temporary? Our lifespan of 20, 40, 80, 100 years is very short in comparison to eternity. Sometimes we need to play the long game. Sometimes we need to keep the perspective of God's perspective and not our own. And the reality is when we get to heaven, we're going to have transformed bodies. One of those amazing things, especially as we get a little older and some of the parts don't work as well as they should or start to fail or start to creak or start to ache, one day we'll have a body that doesn't have any of those pains. Physically, emotionally, we will be in a place that's so good. Play the long game and remember the reward. So how do we have joy through perseverance? We stay focused. We follow the godly examples and be a godly example to those around us. And we remember the reward. We keep that heavenly focus of where we're going. It's interesting as we look through this chapter of of what Paul shares. As we look at the first part, the verses that Mason shared last week, Paul talks about his past. He shares about the Judaizers, but he also talks about his own credentials, who he was seen to be in the world. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was up there. He was one of the best. But then he goes on to say, all that's behind me is garbage compared to what God's calling me to now. So he looks at his past in the first 11 verses, and then this section that we've looked at today, he talks about the present. What is the goal that God's called me to fulfill? What is the one thing that God is calling me? I strive, I press on, I push towards the goal. God's given me one job to do here in this time. And then beyond that, he talks about the glory of the future. We've got the garbage, the goal, and the glory. The glory of where he's going to. You know, that's our story when we think about it. We all have garbage from our past that sits there, and sometimes we've just got to push aside, ask forgiveness, and move on. But God still uses that. God used Paul's pharisaical fastidiousness to be an apostle. God can use you 
because you've had a background, because you've done something, because you've been somewhere, because you have a skill area, nothing's wasted with God. Sometimes we look at stuff and think, God, what was that all about? I had a broken relationship and it's fallen apart. And how's that ever going to be of use to you? And God will say, he picks up the, the ashes from the fire and he makes something beautiful out of it. And that's how all our stories. So we look at Paul, we see the past, we see the present and we see the future. And for us, the focus today is how is do we persevere? And not just persevere, how do we find joy as we persevere? In 2010, in the Zenkar Marathon, Jacqueline Kiplamano was the favourite. Jacqueline's the Kenyan on the side there. And Jacqueline, she was the number one rated runner. And prize money was $10,000. She'd set herself to win this marathon. That was her goal. She'd trained hard. She was moving to that point. She was leading the race up until a 10K mark. And at the 10K mark, they're in a loop circuit. She came up to a, another runner who was a double hand amputee, Chu. And Chu couldn't get his water bottle open to drink, and he was struggling to drink. And Jacqueline made a decision in that moment. She decided to run alongside Chu for the next 28 kilometres. And at every water stop, she undid the bottle and she gave him a drink and she helped drink for him. If you look at that photo, it's actually her bottle she's holding. It's got her name and her number on it. So she's giving him her bottle. But for 28k, she ran alongside him. She were, was his hands and enabled him to have water to sustain the race. The last 4k, she pressed off and she ran second in the race overall, even though she'd sacrificed her race to run alongside him. It's a great story when you think about the willingness that we can all have goals, we can all have a, something God's called us to do, we can all have a, a place where we want to go and be. But sometimes mid-race... God changes the plans. And much like Jacqueline, her goal to achieve the, the gold medal, the trophy, the $10,000 prize money was circumvented by her goal of humanity, of helping another runner get to the finish line and finish the race. Where are you at in the race today? Are you tired? Are you ready to give up? Do you need a pep talk from God? Do you feel like you just need someone to walk along beside you or run beside you? Where are you today? Are you finding joy in pushing on in times of challenge and perseverance? Maybe you're running okay. Maybe you're like Jacqueline, you've got the goal in mind, you've trained, you're ready for the event. Who is it that God's brought alongside you that just needs a hand to open their water bottle? Who is it in your world that God's saying, hey, I just want you to back off your run, slow to their pace and go with them for a time. We all have people in our world that God's calling us to journey with. Who is it that God's calling you to, to give a word of encouragement, to be their hands and feet, to help them through? The question we want to ask is, can you find joy in perseverance today? What is it that God's calling you to push forward in and persevere in, that you can find joy in and have a greater purpose? Let's pray. Jesus, we want to thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the reality of your word. Thank you, Lord, that you give us a real sense of the next steps. And Lord, we want to thank you too that through the words in Philippians, as we look at Paul's story and we look at the challenges, we look at the reality of his life, that he was able to rejoice in you. 
Lord, that he was able to put his past behind him. He was able to press on in the moment and he was able to see a future goal of where you were calling him to. And Lord, out of that, we want to pray, give us that sense of, of direction and purpose too. Lord, in whatever it is that we're dealing with today, we want to pray, Lord, that you enable us to have joy in the moment. Give us a sense of you at work in our lives. And Lord, we want to pray too for who is it that you want us to journey alongside? Lord, who is it that you're calling us to mentor as a Timothy? Who is it that you're calling us to be a mentor to? Father, we want to thank you that we can come together. We thank you, Lord, that you call us to be a representative of who you are. And Lord, as we live our day to day, we want to continue to remember that you are calling us heavenward, that we are citizens of earth, but we are destined for heaven. But Lord, may that be a reality that we can share with others. May we have the, the courage, may we have the conviction, and may you give us wisdom in being able to share who you are with those around us. For this, we want to give you thanks and praise in the precious name. Amen. Mm -hmm.